Awesome. Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us this morning. Thanks so much for joining us for church here on this uh, Memorial Day weekend. I mean, honestly, Baptism Sunday is one of the highlights really of our years. We just see God do an incredible work in the lives of people. We're going to baptize more folks next service. We got folks flying in for the last service to get baptized. And so we're just going to be celebrating all day. You know, a number of months ago, we were doing a service at a church and we was going to baptize folks in the front and I think they was concerned maybe about the carpet getting too wet. So we don't want to make too much of a mess. We might need to cancel baptisms. I just thought, man, these are the types of messes we live for. Listen, friend, we live for messy altars. We live for messy, chaotic altar experiences where people's lives are transformed by the power of Jesus. It is never too much work. It is never too inconvenient. It is never too much of a mess to see somebody encounter the real Jesus. And on Friday, I was preaching in uh, Seattle. I got an invite. I never know really how people find me to invite me to all sorts of things, but I got an invitation this week. On Friday night, I was preaching at a Vietnamese Baptist church conference. Now, I know what you're thinking. Russell, you are neither Vietnamese nor Baptist, and you would be correct. But what I've found is that the power of God transcends every denominational line, every ethnicity, every heritage, because people are hungry for an encounter with the real God. We saw the Holy Spirit fall and do an incredible work. And I just thought, man, if God can do it for the Vietnamese Baptist, then he can do it for us. <laughs> yeah, some of you may not know this, but every month our church partners with missions work around the, really around the world for the advancement of God's kingdom. Over the last number of months, we've really focused our time, energy, and resources in West Africa, in particular the nation of Liberia. Liberia is ranked as the world's poorest country multiple years in a row. They've been ravaged by back-to-back -back civil wars, regional conflict, religious conflict. But I'm just convinced that Jesus is still the hope for the nations. I got an email this week from one of the pastors that we're supporting. It was so encouraging, I figured I would read it to you this morning. He said, Russell, I want to thank you for the pursuits, generous support of our ministry. Our church is located in a Muslim-dominated community. We have been meeting both the spiritual and the physical needs of that community since we started. We currently have over 10 Muslim converts who are baptized and growing spiritually in our congregation. One of the challenges in having a church in a Muslim-dominated community is inter-religious marriages. A man got saved in our church and he has since become a deacon. But his wife of 45 years has continued to pray and practice as a Muslim. But I'm happy to report today that she also has now put her faith in Jesus Christ. You're never too old, you're never too far gone, you're never too forgotten for God to reach into the middle of your circumstance and redeem everything around you. That's simply the God that we serve. Over the last number of months, I've had the privilege of baptizing people who were formerly Mormons, 
baptized people who were formerly atheists, baptized folks who had never darkened the doors of a church before, but they were driving by and something grabbed their heart and pulled them in. We have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Can I tell you that salvation, regeneration, baptism is still the greatest miracle that Jesus does. And I love all the physical healings and the signs and the wonders, but the greatest miracle that exists is when God takes a person in the kingdom of darkness and translates them into the kingdom of light. When he takes things that are dead and in fact, by his spirit, he makes them alive. And that's what we're celebrating today. And I feel like every time we baptize a person, every time somebody responds and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, every time somebody gets endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit, it's like giving the enemy another black eye in this community. What he thought he owned, he was only renting for the kingdom of God is advancing by force and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This morning, I'm gonna share with you out of Acts and chapter 10. Prior to doing so, I wanna give you some context to help you understand the extemporaneous circumstances that frame in this narrative. The book of Acts is written by a physician by the name of Luke. The book of Acts could be understood as the actions of the apostles. It records the birthday of the New Testament church. It records the spreading of the gospel to Europe and Asia Minor. It records the three great missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It is filled with highs and lows, triumphs and trials as the gospel advances and changes regions wherever God will find a willing people. But in Acts 10, everything changes for the church. For there is a man named Cornelius who is a Roman soldier who will become the first Gentile convert in the entire Roman Empire to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is such a profound event that it required an angelic visitation for Cornelius, a heavenly vision for the Apostle Peter, and the total disruption of an entire theological framework that caused walls of separation that now God by His Spirit would destroy. Do you know that from the beginning of time, there's essentially been two categories of people, Jew and Gentile. A Gentile refers to anyone who is not of Jewish heritage or lineage. In the Old Testament, God had a chosen people, the Jewish nation, and Abraham was the father of that nation. And God made covenant with Abraham and his offspring, and he preserved them throughout all of human history as a sign of both his sovereign power and his sovereign prerogative. But in the New Testament, the scriptures declare, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No longer does salvation or righteousness only belong to the Jews, but instead the blood of Jesus has invited every human into the reality of the new covenant. For 4,000 years of Old Testament history, the Jews had been God's chosen people and holy nation. And in an instant, everything changed. It's not that the Jewish people were no longer special. It was that all who put faith in Christ would now also be called God's chosen people. For God's covenant was no longer limited to a nation or an ethnicity. It was opened up to all who believed. 
Imagine that for 4,000 years you have subscribed to a particular tradition, a particular way of doing things, and all of a sudden your understanding of that tradition shifts. It might seem foolish that Jews were separated from Gentiles, but this was the reality of human history until Jesus bridged the gap. Friend, it wasn't just that Jews and Gentiles were different. They had developed an ethnic hatred for each other that impacted everyday interactions. According to the Scottish theologian, Dr. William Barclay, it was common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer thanking God that he was not a slave, that he was not a Gentile, and that he was not a woman. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstance. In fact, if a Jew were to marry a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for the Jew and consider them dead. It was thought that to even enter the house of a Gentile made a Jew unclean before God. Friend, think about how radical it would have been for Paul to tell the church in Galatians 3 and 28 that there is now no difference between Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there even male or female, for we are one in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, belonging to the church of Jesus Christ is the greatest tool for tearing down the walls of racial and ethnic hatred that has ever existed. What are you doing to combat racism? I belong to the church of the living God. What are you doing to combat ethnic hatred? I'm raising my kids in the church of the living God. See, the world is shouting, do something. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're sitting in this church, you are doing the most important thing that you can ever do. And in Acts 10, starting in verse 1, the Bible tells us this story. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a soldier in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those who were in need, and he prayed to God regularly. But one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear and he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to the city of Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Cornelius is just a Roman soldier who believes in God. He is minding his own business. He is praying and being generous. And one day at three in the afternoon, an angel interrupts his lunch and calls him by name. Friends, you can have great confidence today that you serve a God who knows you by name and can speak in a language that you understand. No, God is not the author of confusion. When he speaks, it is clear. When he speaks, it aligns with scripture. When he speaks, it is peace, love, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God is revealed in nature. He is revealed in art. He is revealed in truth. He is revealed in song. He is even revealed in creativity. He is revealed in ways that help you love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because God designed you and built you and formed you and fashioned you, therefore he knows how to get your attention in ways that nobody else can. 
In fact, the older I get, the more I realize that God speaks to me through things like structures, organizational charts, and Excel spreadsheets. Now, God may speak to you through rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns. I'm not exactly sure what method or avenue that God will use to make his voice clear to you. But he has designed you from the inside out. And I'm telling you, he knows how to get your attention. I'm not sure if Cornelius was thinking about God in this moment, but God was thinking about him. The creator of the universe has a unique and a vested interest in your life today. Cornelius wasn't doing anything extraordinary. He prayed and he was generous. But there was something about his faithful obedience that attracted the attention of heaven. Friend, it doesn't have to feel significant in order for God to find its significance. See, what you do here, it echoes in eternity. I know you think you're just paying your tithe, but friend, it echoes in eternity. I know you think you're just doing your morning devotional time, but friend, it echoes in eternity. I know you feel like you're just encouraging that friend at church, but it echoes in eternity. The angel tells Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts have acted as a memorial offering unto God, and he has turned his attention to you. If Cornelius was known by the God of the universe because of his generosity and prayer, it begs this question today, friend, what are you known for in heaven? I hope I'm not known for grumbling and complaining. I hope I'm not known for arguments and disunity. I hope I am not known for pessimism and negativity. I want to be known for all the right reasons. I want to be known for prayer and for passion. I want to be known for worship and generosity and obedience because one life will soon be passed and it is only what is done for Jesus that will last. The angel tells Cornelius, I appreciate your prayers. And I appreciate your generosity, but go find Simon Peter, for there is something more that God has for you, and Peter is the key that will unlock the door. The Bible continues, the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. For I am only a man myself. I want you to see something this morning, friend. Peter had a decision to make. Will I go with these Gentiles from my house in Joppa to Cornelius' house in Caesarea against the very customs that I have practiced since I was a small child? Or will Joppa once again be known as a place of disobedience for God's people? See, Joppa was actually famous in Old Testament literature. Because it's where the prophet Jonah run to hide when God called him to go to Nineveh. Joppa was known by the Jews as a place of disobedience. But Peter, responding to the heavenly vision, got to reinterpret and reimagine the destiny of an entire city. That they would be known as a place where God's spirit came to earth and the Gentiles were open to the gospel. That's what we're doing in the Northwest. We are redeeming the narrative that has been soiled by the enemy's work. He said the Northwest was known for atheism. The Northwest was known for paganism. The Northwest was known for 
disobedience. They told me when I planted the Northwest is a church planter's graveyard. But we get the opportunity to rename the city after believers who will be obedient to the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There are two important attitudes that are being modeled in these verses that I want you to see. Number one, Cornelius has a posture of expectation and honor. Can I tell you this morning, your posture is your pre-approval in the Spirit. It's what communicates to God and others that you are ready to receive. See, oftentimes when I preach, I put on my glasses to read, but I take them off to speak. The reason why I do that is because I'm blind without my glasses. Now, I'm convinced because I can hear your feedback that people are in the chairs. But if you were all to get up real quietly and quickly and leave the building, I'd be preaching to an empty room and not even know it. But the reason why I take off my glasses to preach is because it's so easy for me to get distracted by people's postures. Sometimes people come to church and they just look so sour and upset to be in the house of God. I'll go up to them afterwards. I'll say, brother, sister, are you okay? Anything I can pray with you for? Can I add my faith to yours? Can I encourage you? They'll say, no, pastor, I'm happy. I'm doing great. I'll say, well, you forget to tell your face because you sure looked upset to me. Because I think sometimes we tell God, well, if he wants to do it in, in my heart and he wants to do it in my life, then he can just do it without any of my participation and Friend, I hear what you're trying to say, but I think hunger looks like something. I think revival looks like something. I think desperation, it looks like something. I am struck by the story of the woman with the issue of blood who gets down on her hands and knees and crawls through the crowd to grab a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus, in an instant, turns around to his disciples and he said, who's touching me? The disciples look at him and they say, you're crazy. The crowds are here. Everybody is touching you. And he says, no, there's a woman with faith. She grabbed a hold of the hem of my garment. She refused to let go until virtue and power flew out of me and into her. I'm going to ask you again, who touched me? I think that there is a posture of hunger and humility that draws virtue out of Jesus and in doing so causes his power to come alive in our hearts. That's why when Paul is teaching the church on worship, he says, I desire men everywhere to lift up holy hands without wrath or without doubting and to glorify and honor God. Now, does God need you to raise your hands in order to worship? I don't think so. But I think the principle of Scripture is demonstrating that there is an outside exterior posture that we take that signals not just to heaven but to earth that we are expecting to receive from Him. And in fact, that's why I think baptism is so important. I don't just have a private faith, I have a public faith. It's an exterior manifestation of an interior reality. But it wasn't just the posture of Cornelius, it was the posture of the Apostle Peter. Peter could have received the praise. Peter could have received the worship and the honor, but he is quick to remind Cornelius, the center of the story is not me, it's him. 
Friend, as a believer, you are the reflection of God for other people to see. But you are not the God for other people to worship. The gospel is not look at me, it is look at Jesus. And friend, the quicker you are to return honor to Christ, the more often you will find yourself being used in profound ways. See, God exalts the humble, but the Bible says he opposes the proud. It's interesting to me that as a nation, we're about to enter Pride Month, where our culture will celebrate its own depravity by announcing our great pride in rejecting the ethic of Scripture. Friend, pride is the enemy's setup for humanity's downfall. It is the original sin that caused Lucifer to be struck down from heaven. It's what attempts to convince people to take the honor and glory from themselves and nothing will kill your soul faster than a prideful heart. The Bible says in verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a, a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to even associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I would venture to say this morning that there is some baggage that many of us have been hauling around from place to place. You thought it had value. You thought it was worthwhile. You thought it was meant for you to carry around. You thought it was useful in your next location. But all it did was cause everything around it to stink. I don't know about you, but I think the greatest act of love that you can ever demonstrate to somebody around you is helping them move. In fact, you should never buy a truck, ever. Because as soon as you do, you'll have people you don't even know and some that you don't even like asking you to help them move. I had this experience a number of months ago. Some friends were moving to a different house and they got a U-Haul and I was helping them pack their stuff out and then pack their stuff back into their new dwelling. And you know what it's like to move? You got some stuff that's in nice little neat boxes and it's labeled correctly. And then you got a lot of other stuff that you just hurriedly threw into a black garbage bag because it wasn't that fragile and it was a lot quicker to do it that way. And as I'm helping them move, I just saw a lineup of black garbage bags in their kitchen. So I grabbed them, I packed them into the U-Haul without realizing that the black garbage bags filled with valuable things were sitting right next to identical black garbage bags filled with trash. And being the humble servant that I am, I loaded them all into the U-Haul. Drove to their new house, helped unload the U-Haul, took the bags into the kitchen. The new homeowner was there opening all the bags to figure out what room, which items belonged in. And lo and behold, they begin to open the bags and they realized that these bags were simply filled with trash. Of course, they'd been sitting in the back of a hot U-Haul now for an hour. And it was flies flying around and a specific odor began to fill the room. And they said, who brought this trash? You were meant to leave that at the old location. 
I would venture to say some of us are hanging on to old patterns, old traditions, old religion, old ways of doing things that God has invited to leave at his feet, but we're dragging them with us to whatever new location we go. And can I just encourage you today in the same way that Peter had to be willing to lay down the tradition of his forefathers, you and I have to be willing to lay down the tradition and preferences of our past to lay a hold of what God has for us in our present. Friend, baggage is about where you've been. Luggage is about where you're going. So it's time to leave the trash behind and in doing so, pick up what God has for you in this next season. Peter Peter admits it. It's against our law for me to even associate with you. But I can't allow the way that I used to think to keep me from experiencing what God would have for me in this moment. I know this church is different. I know it feels odd sometimes on a Sunday morning. I know it's weird when you got a neighbor who's in a three-piece suit who jumps out of their seat and jumps in the tank. But I am convinced that there are so many times we pray for revival and then when it shows up, we curse it because it looks different than our last experience. And I would implore you today by the mercy of God to not allow old ways of thinking or old wineskins try to contain or define what God would desire to do by his spirit in this hour. Do not miss your moment, friend, it's time. This church is a safe place to shake off mindsets and methods that have kept you bound up in lackluster living. You may have come from a place where it was a sin to be happy in church, but not here. For Christ has come that your joy may be full. You may have come from a church where worship put you to sleep, but not here. We won't apologize for pursuing him with passion. You may have come from a tradition where God's love was a reflection of how well you kept the law, but not here. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and it is the revelation of his love that motivates us unto transformation. Can I jump in this church? Yes, you can. Can I shout in this church? You better believe it. Can I laugh in this church? Yes, you can. Can I grow in this church? Can I serve in this church? Can I weep in this church? Can I rejoice in this church? Yes, you can. For I am officially giving you permission to let go of the old and cling to the new. Friend, this is your season to come alive. Now watch. Hear me. When you go undeveloped, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts people who are waiting on the other side of your developments. Peter had to grow into the type of person that God could use to introduce the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter had to grow in order for God to send him to the house of Cornelius. Peter had to grow in order to see the miracles in the city of Joppa. Peter had to grow. Listen, dad or mom, you have to grow in order to do better for your kids than was done for you. Listen, young man or young woman, you've got to grow in order for this next relationship to be better than your last relationship. Listen, business owner or entrepreneur, you've got to grow in order for God to unlock that next level of resource. No, growth is not easy. 
It doesn't always feel good, but it is the necessary path forward for all who put their faith in Jesus. It is simply our time to grow. Then Peter began to preach. The house was full. Cornelius invited his servants, his in-laws, his outlaws, his neighbors, his community, and he packed them into his living room. And Peter steps into the room and he begins to preach. And he begins to tell them about this Jesus who the prophets spoke about. He begins to tell them how he was hung up on a tree and crucified for our sin. He begins to tell them how he was in the belly of the earth for three days, but God has raised him from the dead. He began to tell them how Jesus has now ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. And if you continue to read the story, the Bible says, as Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles and they began to speak in other tongues. And Peter takes a step back and he says, I am amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit is even available for these Gentiles. Oh friend, we need divine interruptions from the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit to fall on our churches afresh and anew. We need an unmitigated, immeasurable outpouring of God's Spirit in our cities and in our regions. The church cannot afford to not operate in power. The church cannot afford to not operate in God's Spirit. Our world has never needed it before. And the gospel is good news because it is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Oh, we need God's Spirit. Next Sunday is June 5th. On the church calendar, it's called Pentecost Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach with every fiber in my being. I'm going to convince you from the scriptures that the Spirit is alive and well and active in the life of a believer. I'm going to invite you to this altar. I'm going to anoint you with oil. And I'm going to believe with you for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit in your life. I refuse to apologize for believing in God's power made manifest through His Spirit. We don't need more dry, dead religion. We don't need more dry, dead churches masquerading as community centers. We need an outpouring of God's Spirit so that the young and the old begin to dream again. We need God's spirits. Why don't you go ahead and stay standing. I'm going to end here. It's like a fire trapped in my bones. I believe this with every fiber of my being. It is worth it to go all in on Jesus. It is worth it to keep your eyes on him, for he is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is his eyes that still burn like fire. He is the one who is worshiped by angels and elders and four living creatures day and night. This one is still worthy and his power is still real. About 12 years ago, I had an experience I will never forget. 
I was called by a man who was in charge of helping immigrants from the nation of Nepal get resettled in the Northwest. Nepal had been under intense war, degradation, depravity, dysfunction. These folks were refugees who literally had nothing left. And this man called me up and he said, I'm in charge of helping these folks get resettled. But pastor, would you drive down to Tacoma? I've rented a little church. They've gathered in the sanctuary and they are willing to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. I jumped at the opportunity. That's a preacher's dream. And I showed up and they didn't even have chairs to sit on. They sat on the floor all around me, about 50 or 60 of them. And I just preached the old rugged cross. I just preached a bloody cross in an empty tomb. I don't know what else to preach. I just told them about a Jesus who loves them, who died to give them eternal life, to invite them into his power and in his reality. And as I was preaching, God is my witness. I saw the Holy Spirit fall. And all of a sudden, these immigrants, these refugees from the nation of Nepal, sitting on the floor, begin to stand and shake and raise their hands. And they begin to confess, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And in the very next moment, without any introduction, without any theology, without any teaching, they begin to open their mouth and speak in other tongues. And I thought to myself, the same Jesus who did it in Acts 10, he is doing it again. God is bringing the nations to the Northwest for an encounter with his spirit. Friend, we owe the cities an encounter with Jesus and it is well worth it to give your life for this cause and for this mission. There is no king but Jesus. There is no power like Jesus. There is no authority like Jesus. And when the church gathers with expectation, God responds with impartation. And let me pray for you, Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus. I ask you that you would fill my friends afresh and anew with your power and their glory. That God, you would stir their hearts to believe once again that best days are not behind them, but ahead of them. God, we give you permission by your spirit, renew our minds, encourage our life, strengthen our resolve, and may we walk worthy of the high call that is in Christ Jesus. We're saying, God, relight that fire in our hearts and do what you do best. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, both now and forever. Come on, all God's people said amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for church. If you need prayer before you leave, why don't you make your way to these altars? I'd love to add my faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. If not, God bless. Hey, we'll see you real soon. We'll be back next week. Why don't you invite a friend? Let's build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon. God bless.